What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another BTR uh, podcast. Today, we're joined once again by a special guest to talk some NFL. Before we can, before we introduce him, just a, uh, we're entering week eight as of right now. Thursday night football just completed, so we're gonna just recap the season so far and preview the upcoming trade deadline. Without further ado, let me introduce our guest. He's an NFL writer for NFL.com. He's also a Twitch streamer where he has his Grid Iron podcast. And he plays some Madden and probably some other games as well. And based on his uh, Twitter bio, he's the real kid from Akron. So it's not LeBron James. We have Nick Shook joining us today. Uh, I'm third on the list, guys. I'm third on the list. No, actually, I'm even further down the list. I'm about 29. No, I'm I'm not even in the top 100 from Akron. But I am also from Akron. I did go to LeBron's alma mater. uh, So I, I have that claim to fame. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, appreciate you. I know it's late for you, so we'll just get right into it. Um, so we'll just start off with the Thursday, not just Thursday night football, because um, the game as of this recording, sorry, um, the Bills just beat the Buccaneers off almost a Hail Mary. Baker almost pulled it off, but uh, I don't know why no one caught the ball or even tried to attempt for it. But my first question is simple. It's, it's, re- it's regarding the Buffalo Bills. Um, what are your reaction of them overall? Because this season as the NFL, it's kind of been like no one's running away with anything. And Buffalo was my pick for the Super Bowl, beating the Niners. And Josh Allen was supposed to be my MVP. Oh, that's where you made your first mistake. I learned that lesson the hard way last year. Um, (laughs) The Bills are a team, in my opinion, that they're hard to pin down because they're very much the same team they've been for the last three years. Continuity is good because they've won a lot of games being that team, but they have not gotten over the hump. Their biggest issue in the past has been inability to establish the ground game and put too much on the shoulders of Josh Allen, which they've been doing in the last few weeks, but they haven't really cut him loose when it comes to scrambling and like extreme playmaking in unusual situations. Tonight was different. Tonight he ran freely, and that was a huge part of why they won this game. He ran for a touchdown. He extended another play and threw another touchdown. He did that again to Dalton Kincaid. Um, a, a very strong performance from him, a nice bounce back performance after he ran some serious struggles against the Patriots who realized the right side of the Bills line is not very good and sent a lot of pressure in that direction, really from a lot of different angles, but especially that right side of the line and moved Allen off his spot a lot in that game. And and it's it's kind of just been a tale of Jekyll and Hyde at this team, though, because, you know, they had this disappointing loss, one point loss or no, they had a disappointing loss to the Jets to start the year. It wasn't a one point loss it was a walk off touchdown in overtime and that's a game in which the Jets lost Aaron Rodgers, but the Jets have also kind of had their number. Then they go on a hot streak where they look like the best offense in football. Nobody can stop them. These are the Bills at their best. And then they go back to this weird team in between that just can't quite put it all together. It started in London and continued the next couple of weeks through that Patriots loss. So it was nice to see them get a bounce back. I don't have a ton of confidence in them just because that conference is loaded with teams that I think are better than them but they're going to be in the conversation throughout the season. They're going to be right there at near the top of the race, the AFC East. If they don't win the division, they'll probably get in as a wild card. They have a franchise quarterback who's a superstar. They just don't have a running game to balance things out. And you even saw it tonight. They struggled to put the game away on the ground late. They kind of let the Buccaneers get one last shot at it because of this. And that's been my biggest issue with them. It's really frustrating to watch them because they ride Latavius Murray. Then they start to give James Cook some carries, but it's just it's just not effective. And I think that starts up front with their offensive line, which was an issue going into the season and still remains an issue. How much was it? Is it on, do you say it's the switch from Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey? Or do you think it's just player Josh Allen, the rest of the guys not playing well? Or even um, um, the coaching staff in general? I, I think that you did have a 
slight step back when Dable left. It's hard to replace a guy like that who just had such command of this offense and was working so well with Josh Allen. That's not to say that Ken Dorsey isn't doing a good job. I just, I don't like their approach to the offense. I understand they have a great, talented quarterback in, in Josh Allen. He's a unique guy. He's kind of a unicorn. He can run with the ball. He can throw. He's got a rocket arm. He can make all kinds of plays. But I think it's unfair to expect him to do everything for them. Um, especially when you want to try to protect him from getting hurt. He even got a little dinged up tonight, and there was word that he wasn't going to come back in the game early in the first half. So um, I, I think that if I had to pin the blame on anybody, it's maybe a lack of adjustment, uh, maybe a little bit of stubbornness because they keep doing things the same way. Now, tonight it worked because they did adjust a little bit. Well, the way they adjusted was they were willing to spread the ball around the field. They knew that the Buccaneers were going to try to take away Stephon Diggs. They found open targets elsewhere. They don't have Dawson Knox out there, but Dalton Kincaid comes up big. And they do get a little bit of the ground game going. It's just not a complete enough picture uh, on a week-to-week basis for me to feel really good about them right now. Uh, for me, I picked up Dalton Kikane in fantasy, so I was oh, very nice. happy about that today. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but for me, like like you mentioned, they can't they allow teams in it because of the run game because they can't really close out games, right? Which is probably the biggest issue. Yeah, um, and that starts the offensive line, in my opinion. Um, you know, they went and made an addition in the offseason that they thought was going to fix things, and the problems really started to show in the preseason when they played the Steelers. Most of their starting offense was out there. Steelers were running with most of their starters on defense, and they didn't stand a chance against that defense. I know it's the preseason, everything's vanilla, but that was the first time where I was like, oh, no, this might be a problem for them all year. And it, and it's manifested in the fact that they can't consistently run the, the ball. Now, when they had those explosive games a few weeks ago, they ran the ball really well. It was remarkable. It gave me a lot of hope that maybe this is the year they finally get over the hump. They finally figured it out. They can run the ball, and and now they can't again, really. Now, James Cook tonight did average over four yards of carry, so you know I don't mean to sound super like down on the Bills because you know you have to celebrate a win, but I also felt like this is a game that they controlled and probably should have won by more than six points, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they don't have a good enough offensive line to you know, salt away a game and really um, establish dominance up there and, and impose your will on an opposing defense, no matter how good or bad it is. And I think that's going to continue to be an Achilles heel for them, especially if they were, you know, if, if it, God forbid, Josh Allen got hurt because he is the linchpin of this offense. He is the guy that without him, there is no fuel in the tank and, and you're in a bad spot. So uh, you hope that they protect him pretty well. They didn't last week. They did better tonight. He obviously can get out and extend plays, but, it would sure would go a long way if they could actually have like a legitimately threatening run game. Okay. Sticking in the division, um, you mentioned the Patriots who beat the bills and they've been awful, right? (laughs) From the most part of this year, how much Belichick, okay. So the Belichick Brady debate, you know, the pressures on Belichick to kind of do something. I don't know if that's really the case, but do you, and I was going to ask you this when we were planning on bringing on you before, bringing you on before with Belichick, and as, he, as this was potentially his last year, he might step down or whatever the case may be. But secret, apparently, he signed a secret extension that no one knew about. What are your thoughts on Belichick at the moment, and how could the Patriots be fixed? Is it strictly personnel or his GMing issues? Should he just strictly be a coach at this point and let someone else run? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, after running a team and making all the personnel decisions in tandem with the people that are in the front office for so long, I can't imagine you would take a step back. Um, Once you get that power, you usually don't give it up unless you lose all of it. So I don't think that's a possibility. I also have a hard, I know it's hyperbolic and it drives the conversation, you know, during the season when they're struggling that, oh, this could be his last year. It's going to lead all the talking head shows because it's great debate and everything else. Um, But if there's anybody in the NFL in the last 25, 30 years who's earned enough goodwill with his accomplishments, 
to get another year or two, it's Bill Belichick. You thought this would be the year. Last year, the, the problem was, well, their offensive coordinator situation was a mess. Mac Jones took a step back. Uh, they didn't have a ton of talent on the offensive side of the ball. But the problem is, is in the offseason, they didn't get any better over there, really. I mean, they replaced Jacoby Myers with Juju Smith-Schuster, and I think that, that was ultimately a downgrade based on how Jacoby's playing in Las Vegas. He's already got more touchdowns. He had more. He had as many touchdowns against than in one game as he had in his first 38 games of the Patriots. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I think that it's a bit of, like, Belichick has a very established formula. He builds his teams a certain way. It's a strategy he developed back in Cleveland when he was the head coach there. He apply, applied it to the Patriots. He found a quarterback he could trust who became one of the greatest of all time. And he built a really strong defense to help them win championships early before he was able to put more of the pressure on Brady to deliver. Uh, they changed in philosophy over that time, but ultimately the, the the backbone of this team beyond the star power has always been the role players that most teams are not going to pick up, but they fit exactly what Belichick's looking for, the archetypes he's looking for. And I think he's tried to build his team that way, but he doesn't have the same quarterback. You know, Mac Jones has had a very up and down year. He had a really solid game last week, but in the few weeks prior, he looked like one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. So um, if he could get consistency out of that, and that starts with Bill O'Brien, the offensive coordinator, by the way, um, then I think that they could take a step forward. I don't think that the firing thing is legitimate just because it's so hard to move on from a legend like that. It's yeah. got to be really drastic. And if they play like they did last week, then they're not going to end up being as bad of a team as people think they are and as bad as they looked a few weeks ago. Their record says they're really bad, but there's still a lot of season left for them to pick up some wins and avoid that type of catastrophe because if that happens, wholesale changes, man. And 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 I think it stretches well beyond Bill Belichick. The only thing I'll say is I know Robert Kraft doesn't like to lose, and nobody likes yeah. to lose, but um, I, I, I'm curious if this is the season that tests his patience the most or not. Yeah, for me, another team in the division I want to talk about is the New York Jets. When Aaron Rodgers went down, I was like, okay, season done. Zach Wilson is going to be rushed in there a little bit because this is kind of a, you know, sit and watch year for him. But he got thrown in there. And the first couple of games, you're like, okay, Jets season is over. But for me, he's picked up a little bit. He's playing the playing his role. Obviously, he's not playing like a superstar level or anything, but he's playing his role. And uh, they found a way to get some wins. So do you believe this Jets team could make the playoffs without Aaron Rodgers? Yes, because their defense is good enough. Their defense is going to keep them in every game. Um, they have a championship-caliber defense that plays with its hair on fire most weeks. Uh, Quincy Williams, who's Quinn Williams' brother, is having a career year at linebacker. He's all over the field. Um, really good secondary in the back end, D.J. Reed, Sauce Gardner. And even when they weren't playing, they still played really well um, against the Eagles. So I think that, that if you have a good enough defense like that, you're going to be in every game. It's just a matter of whether your offense can come through. The good thing about Zach Wilson is he's got a lot of talent around him. The bad thing is that the offensive line has not been as trustworthy as you would like it to be. Um, so it is a lot of it is going to come down to him. I do like the way that he's kind of grown over the last month. You know, I do QB rankings every week, our QB index at NFL.com. And <clears throat> for a while he was at 32 and deserved to be there. But he's been climbing a little bit because he's starting to accept what he's good at and what he's not good at and use his strengths to his advantage. Um, he's not afraid to take off from the pocket and, and scramble for positive gains. He finds guys on the perimeter pretty easily. The downfield throws are not there right now, but he's settling in a little bit. So if you can get average play from him at best and you get that defense, you're going to be in every game and chances are you're going to win some of those games. Like the way they beat the Eagles, the defense handed them that game. Um, I, I'm not going to go so far as to say that I guarantee they'll make the playoffs because they're in a tough division, but I do think that they'll be in the conversation for a while. Do you buy that Aaron Rodgers will be back this year? Hype? No, <laughs> it's a, it's I'm a not a doctor. Uh, yeah, 
and apparently the the process that he the the procedure he underwent is supposed to give him a shorter timeline but like cam Akers blew his achilles in june or july a couple of years ago and came back in january and it was like a medical miracle aaron Rodgers blew his achilles in september <laughs> that's yeah. many months beyond june or july i and he's over 40 years old i just yeah. have a really hard time believing that's gonna happen um Last thing with the Jets, we're going to get to the trades eventually here, but before that Chiefs game where Zach Wilson kind of started showing his um, signs that he could, he's an average quarterback that could get him in the playoffs, were you on the board that maybe they should have traded for a Kirk Cousins or a Ryan Tannehill to like salvage this season? I tend to lean in the opposite direction when it comes to in-season quarterback moves because this is not Madden, and you can't just plug and play a guy right away. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I even think back to when the 49ers acquired Jimmy Garoppolo. He didn't play for a while because he needed to learn the offense before he actually got out there and execute it. And when he did, he was such an upgrade from what they had that it was like, well, why didn't you play him earlier? And it's because he wasn't ready. Um, it's the toughest position to play in sports for a good reason. There, you have a lot of responsibility out there beyond your physical talent. And um, making that kind of deal – you have to accept that you're going to get three to four weeks where he's not even going to be able to play. Even if you rush him in there and do a Baker Mayfield off the plane, and he's playing 24 hours later. Um, you're really not going to see the positive results you expect. So I was not in that camp. I'm usually not in that camp. I'm usually with the Browns and the Deshaun Watson thing. I was like, man, they need to go get Jacoby Brissett because he knows the offense. That's a little bit different because he has familiarity with that team. Josh Dobbs had familiarity with Drew Petzing, who is the QB's coach. Um, in Cleveland before he went to become OC in Arizona, which is why Dobbs is doing all right in Arizona. But most times, unless there's established familiarity and a history between coach and quarterback, it's going to be really difficult to get them on board and play quickly right away. So um, I tend to lean against that and say, no, don't make that move. Um, We're going to move on to the only winless team now, the Carolina Panthers. Um, They're playing the Houston Texans. So it's the battle of the one and two quarterback CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. Are you surprised about the 0 5 start? Because I expected this team to be better. Now, I'm not saying Bryce Young should be like all, he should be like what CJ Stroud is doing essentially. Um, but 0 5 is kind of tough in my, in my opinion. Like, there's, I thought they would have had a win by now. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the, the strength of the team roster wise is not there. Um, he's not in a great situation. The offensive line has not helped him. Um, you know, they, they, they went and got Iki Kwanu and, and they've had, you know, a few other guys that it's just, they're having a hard time gelling up there. And, and Bryce is a guy who won the Heisman because he's a superstar athlete at the collegiate level. It's hard to break some of those habits when you get to the NFL and force a guy to play controlled within a system. CJ Stroud does that well because CJ Stroud was never a guy trying to be a hero at Ohio state. He was being a quarterback and they've also, he's in a better situation in Houston um, and the offensive coordinators really built the offense around him. I thought that Carolina's highly touted coaching staff would put him in a better spot, but a lot of it is Bryce having to accept that he can't be a hero every down. Um, he makes mistakes that, you know, on plays that would go his way in college that just don't go his way in the NFL. He's slowly starting to break that habit, but um, if you look at the roster around him, it's already an uphill climb. So I'm a little surprised that they haven't won a game yet, but when you watch them every week, it kind of makes sense. Like they had this hot start in Miami a couple of weeks ago where he led two touchdown drives and you're like, Oh look, he's finally figuring it out to take the next step. They didn't do anything the rest of the game because the defense yeah. adjusted yeah. and, and the Panthers had no response, no answer for that. Um, that's going to be what a lot of this season is. The downside to all this is that the Panthers gave up a good amount of capital to get him. So losing a ton of games does not behoove them because the bears have their pick. 
Um, I do expect him to take a jump at some point. I think he'll be the star close to a star that they expected him to be, but it does look bad right now because CJ is playing so well. But again, you have to take into account situation and coaching around him. And if anything, I think I've learned from his time in Indianapolis and now his time in Carolina that I would not back a Frank Reich led team more than anything. Um, they're not the toughest teams usually. And if you're dealing with a talent deficit, sometimes you have to grit your way to a competitive performance and they have not done that. Oh uh, yeah. So speaking of the Texans, um, so with CJ Stroud, obviously insane rookie year, how, how much do you think that they're ahead of schedule for their rebuild now compared to what you thought before the year? Um, that depends because it depends on what you expected. You go and get a guy like D'Amico Ryans to change the culture. And I hate that phrase because it's used way too often, but I do think it applies here. Um, he's a guy who has history with the franchise who is a young coach, who is a great defensive mind. And what you're seeing is a defense that has taken many steps forward with under his leadership. You're seeing a team that is scrappy, has an attitude, goes out there and says, we're not the Texans of old. We're not just going to lay down. And they also made some additions in the offseason that I really liked. Um, Dalton Schultz being one of them. You know, they made some signings of some guys that wouldn't have even considered Houston in previous years. Nico Collins is having a career year thanks to his relationship with C.J. Stroud, but they also went and got Robert Woods, who I never thought would sign with Houston. They re-upped Laramie Tunsil, which gives C.J. Stroud the trusted blindside protector, one of the best in the NFL at left tackle. That helps yeah. a lot. Sheldon Rankins is over there. Malik Collins is over there. Denzel Perryman. Um, you know, Jalen Petrie's a young stub. Then they went and got Jimmy Ward in the offseason. That was another signing where I was like, whoa, these are like players of substance signing with the Texans, not what they called the quote unquote scum bucket uh, a couple of years ago, yeah. guys, you know, like, like the Rex Burkhead types just signing for one more shot in the NFL. That's not the Texans anymore. So I think it, the signs started to show themselves in the off season with their moves before they went and got their quarterback and they got the right quarterback for that situation. And they built their offense around it and are really just maximizing their return on, on a rookie quarterback and a group that um, I think is probably achieving above expectation. But I also, I love watching Texans games, man. Like their defense is just so passionate. They have young studs in the back end, especially. And then you get to watch CJ Stroud and you just keep one week after another. He just impresses you, surprises you, makes plays that you just never expected. And if he continues to do this, he'll run away with offensive rookie of the year. And the Texans will be in a better spot than they've been in, than they've been in, in years. Since Bill O'Brien became the football czar of that team, they've been in a dark, deep, dark hole. And yeah, I think yeah. they finally found the sunlight with D'Amico Ryan, CJ Stroud, and, and a hungry defense. And they can only go up from here. And I just, I'm really excited to watch their trajectory. All right, Nick, we're Colts fans, as you can tell by Joven's shirt. So two-part question. One, overall thoughts on the team so far under Shane Steichen. Second question, sticking with the rookie quarterback, Anthony Richardson, before his injury, um, putting him out for the year. Your thoughts on how he was playing and his I, potential projection. I you thought you were going to ask me if the refs blew it last week. Um, <laughs> we, we were going to wait for that. Uh, <laughs> we, don't, we, don't need to, we don't need to ask because they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I know you're the a Cleveland legal, guy, but yeah. The, I, I am in Cleveland. I grew up a Browns fan. I'm not really a Browns fan now, even though on the Around the NFL podcast, I'm, I'm, described as one because it helps with you know the narrative but i worked for the team for a year i lost some of the romanticism of rooting for a team and i also expect that franchise to screw it up so i'm not really on board with yeah. them like i used to but i still got like old brown jerseys in the closet that never see the light of day anymore plus a lot of free team gear from when i worked for them but yeah, yeah. um so i the illegal contact was the right call the pass interference was the wrong call 
The pass interference gave them the shot at the one yard line, but let's not forget they were at the eight yard line before that and still had a pretty good shot at scoring. Um, so that's going to handle that. But I think that Shane Steichen was a great hire. He's done a really good job scheming up quality game plans. He's taken full advantage of Anthony Richardson's strengths. It's a bummer that Richardson's done for the year because they were really fun to watch because he's a special talent. He was the guy. I go to the combine every year and I sit in Lucas Oil Stadium in a suite with some of my colleagues. It's like it's high enough that you're getting a pretty good bird's eye view of what's going on down at the field. And I take notes. I do this thing called the all combine team, the best performers from the combine. And my editors are always like, this guy ran a great 40. Why is he not on the list? I'm like, because his workout sucked. Because like what I gained yeah. from it more than anything is not the measurables. The measurables are what they're going to focus on on TV and they're going to take the most away from it. And that usually does matter the most. But for me, the guys who separate themselves at the combine are the guys who stand out from the rest of the pack in the drills. Uh, Tristan Wirfs was that guy. Cam Jurgens was that guy. Uh, we I, Tank Dell was that guy. I, I could keep going down the list. Alex Highsmith had a phenomenal workout that didn't show up in the measurables, but I love the way he moved through his drills. I'm like, that kid's got potential, and look at what he's doing in Pittsburgh now. So I'm not going to pat myself on the back, but I think that <laughs> sitting in the stadium gives you a unique vantage point of guys who are just better than the rest. You cannot see it on TV, but you can see it when you're sitting there. And most of those guys that stand out to me that I take these notes about that make my all-combine team end up being good in the NFL no matter where they're drafted. So um, I Richardson was one of those guys. Richardson, his footwork was messy. He missed some throws underneath in his workout. It was obvious because of his footwork. That was the reason. It wasn't his arm. He's got an incredible amount of natural ability. I mean – the guy can throw at 50 yards, flick of the wrist, no problem. He threw one of the prettiest deep passes at the combine I've ever seen in my life. I got chills watching it. I was so yeah. – my jaw was on the floor of the suite, okay? Um, and, and so to see him succeed, I knew that no matter where he was drafted, he had to be drafted to the right situation. The right situation is an offensive line that's good enough to protect him and a team that's good enough with players around him to not put everything on his shoulders. And he has to have a coach who knows his player's strengths and coaches to it instead of trying to fit him into a box. And I think Shane Steichen has done exactly that. He has built this offense around Richardson. He's used his running. He's used his passing ability. Richardson's not perfect as a passer yet, but way better than anybody expected because they're catering to his strengths. It's a bummer that he's not playing for the rest of the year, but Steichen deserves a lot of credit for putting together a phenomenal game plan against the Browns that targeted their weaknesses that nobody else identified prior to that week. A lot of crossing routes against man coverage, freeing guys up. Um, I, you know, I saw it start to develop early, the wildcat, including Jonathan Taylor and, and, uh, Zach Moss back there. That was a wrinkle that the Browns probably didn't see coming that they had a hard time stopping. That's good coaching. And I think that no matter who is playing quarterback, the Colts are going to be competitive in most games, say for that game against Jacksonville when Minshew single-handedly lost them that game because Steichen is a good game planner. He's a good coach. Like I, I'm, I usually don't come away with conclusions on, on coaches after like six or seven weeks of their first season but I'm pretty sold on Steichen. Uh, I think he'll do a good job and he'll be there for a long time. And it's good for Colts fans because you've dealt with Frank Reich and Jeff Saturday and yeah. Chuck Pagano <laughs> and the, the, the fun of the Bruce Arians interim job. Like it's time for some stability at quarterback and coach. And I think you have it. You're just not going to get to enjoy it this year. Um, okay. Before we ask you your disappointing team, mine is the Saints. I think yours is the Broncos. If I'm not mistaken, Jordan. and you had expectations for the Broncos? No, it wasn't Broncos. Oh, okay, no, no never mind. Sorry, no, uh, it wasn't the Broncos. I had a different question for the Broncos here. My bad. Yeah. I, I, we we, we kind of shit on the Broncos no. a lot afterwards. <laughs> I, but, okay, so for me, I would too. <laughs> yeah. for, for me, it was the Saints because I thought they had an easy schedule. 
Um, I thought Derek Carr is still a decent enough quarterback, and they have talent around him. Now, watching their games ain't fun, <laughs> and no. uh, their play calling isn't the greatest. Dennis Allen's probably on the hot seat now. Their defense is still fine, I think, but yeah, like outside of that Patriots game, I haven't been super crazy impressed. Um, your thoughts yeah, on the Saints? Well, that Patriots game, they built out a quick lead because they got a defensive score. Um, they yeah. got a bunch of stops. They had short fields. They were able to pile on the points and, and bury the Patriots before halftime. Um, so Derek Carr didn't have to do a lot. I hate to say this because I was in the pro Derek Carr camp early in his career, but I've seen enough of him play to know that no matter who his coach is, by the way, Dennis Allen's not a good coach for him. He wasn't a good yeah. coach for him in, yeah. in Oakland. He's not a good coach for him in New, in New Orleans. Um, but no matter who his coach is and who he's playing with, he's still got limitations. And a lot of it is is mental, I think. Um, you're seeing it right now with the fact that he like, he doesn't trust his offensive line, and I can't blame him. Trevor Penning was a nightmare at left tackle before they made some changes in the offensive line. Target was constantly under duress. But what happens is, like the return of Alvin Kamara, you'd think that that would make their offense better. But I argue it made it worse because it has – given Carr an outlet to where he never even looks down the field anymore. Like when, when Kamara was out, it was Rasheed Rice. Like that was, or not Rasheed Rice, excuse me, Rasheed Shahid uh, was his guy. Like out of the backfield, split out wide, no matter what it was, that was his favorite target. Michael Thomas was starting to build a rapport with him. And then you brought Kamara, or Kamara back in and all of a sudden it was like, I'm just going to check it down to him 10, 15 times a game. I'm not even going to look downfield because I don't trust that I'm going to have the time to look downfield. And I don't know if I trust my arm. He misses throws down the field. He's not consistent. Their first halves of games are either like shots to no one downfield or check down, check down, check down, punt. Um, the running game is really not there because of the offensive line. They're putting too much pressure on the defense to carry the load for them. And it's not until they're like desperate that they start to wake up. Like they woke up against the Jags and tied the game. Um, they woke up against the Pack. Or actually, they had a lead against the Packers. They woke up against the Titans late. That was such an ugly game, my God, in week one. Uh, same thing goes for the Panthers. Even the Texans, it was kind of close. Um, and Tampa, they ran away with it at the end, but it was pretty close throughout that game. They're just not a consistent team offensively, and it starts with Carr. And I, it's a bummer because oh, a year ago, we were like, all they need is a quarterback. Like, just somebody better than Jameis Winston, they'll be fine. But the sign should have been there because Winston relied on uh, Kamara all the time, too. Like, he, it was Kamara choice routes. I think they played a game in Seattle in primetime last year where all he did was just throw to Kamara out of the backfield, choice routes all day, and it worked. They made it competitive. They won the game because their defense it was a low-scoring affair. But, like, that's not a yeah. way to win a football game in 2023 yeah. in the NFL. you got to be able to move the football, and they just can't. And it starts a quarterback. So it's a bummer because I think in a perfect world, Derek Carr is a franchise quarterback. But I don't think he's a franchise quarterback anymore, and I'm not sure he ever was, really. And – it kind of makes brings some sense to why Josh McDaniels moved on from him last year. He just he makes dumb mistakes. He misses guys in key moments that he should not miss. Sometimes guys drop passes like Foster Moreau against the Jaguars last week. It's just not a fun team to watch, and and it's a bummer because their defense kept them in so many games last year, and they just have too much on their shoulders to be able to keep them in most of these games right now. Yeah, like I like when Joven and I preview the season, I'm like. Based on the schedule, not strictly on paper, before watching, we're like, this team could potentially win the conference with how easy their schedule is. They have an easy division. Or at division. least a division, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I was definitely surprised. That's my disappointing team. Um, before we get to your, sorry, I, I did mention the Broncos. Clearly, you were not a fan of them. But Shane, uh, sorry, Sean Payton, did the media in general, did we all just overrate him at this point? Like, oh, he's going to be yeah. back. He'll be the whisperer. Yeah. And just we to be did. clear. Um, 
Go ahead. Just just to be clear, I did not have expectations for Broncos. <laughs> I might have. Yeah, been, uh, I might have. I got it. I got it. I got it. You're good. good. You're good. I'm not gonna hold that against you. Um, yeah. Yeah, we put too much stock in Sean Payton. Um, I had this weird feeling going into the season. I think we talked about this in the around the NFL podcast. Sean Payton had a country club vibe to him, like he was halfway in retirement and was just ready to go play golf. And then all of a sudden, he's back on an NFL sideline. He's talking a big game, flashing his Super Bowl ring, but didn't realize he doesn't have Drew Brees back there with him anymore. And um, they've struggled. Russell Wilson tries to do too much. I think he's playing better than I probably have him ranked in the QB index right now, which I'm already taking a lot of fire for where I have him right now um, behind some of the guys on that list. But I'm not inspired by him. Um, I don't see him drop back and think he's going to make a play that's going to change this game. It's more that he's going to extend the play and try to find something and maybe scramble or miss a guy downfield. Um, He hasn't made a ton of mistakes. He had a really good first half against Washington back in like week three, but overall it just hasn't been good enough for me to think that like they're ever going to turn it around. Their defense has been really bad until the last couple of weeks. Statistically, they were one of the worst in the NFL and they started selling off guys already. Uh, Randy Gregory, Frank Clark gone. Uh, that's a sign of a team that knows it's not good enough to compete. The downside is that you're tied to Russell Wilson. You give up capital for Sean Payton. It's not working out. And uh, the only thing I can say that's good about the Broncos is John Elway was a master for promoting himself out of getting fired because his bad drafts at quarterback were lining himself up to get fired. And then he's like, you know what? I'm going to move on to a higher office. And now George Payton's going to be the scapegoat. Have fun with that, George. And so far it has not been a fun experience. Um, Okay. So before we get into the trade targets, um, your disappointing team, is is it the Saints or is it someone else? And then your surprising team. My surprising team is probably, I don't know. This is kind of going as expected, honestly. Um, I don't think I really have much of a surprise. Um, I mean, I'm looking at the standings right now. Houston's probably it. They're playing a lot better than I thought. Everybody else is kind of where I thought they'd be. The Jets, nobody expected Aaron Rodgers to get hurt. I'm surprised that they've been able to keep their head above water so far. Um, So it's got to be Houston. I just, like I said, I love watching the Texans play football. Like I, I got stuck with so many Panthers and Texans games over the last few years on Sundays. And it was just like a (laughs) dreadful experience. I watched the Texans beat the chargers one weekend. I'm foam rolling in my living room. It's the fourth quarter. I'm like, they're going to win this game. And I cannot believe it because they're not a good football team. That was a Davis mills extravaganza that day, but like they've been a bad team. So the fact that they're not a bad team anymore, not saying they're a great team, but they're not a bad team anymore. And they can compete in a division that's going to be a two-team race here really soon. Sorry, Colts fans. Um, that's fun. That's fun. Um, my So that's my surprise. My most disappointing team is probably the Chargers. Two and four. Yeah. Um, you know, they made a change at offensive coordinator that I thought was supposed to jumpstart this offense. You move on from Joe Lombardi to um, – Oh, why is his name escaping me right now? Calamore. Yeah, and um, it's late, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just hasn't it hasn't produced. You know, I don't like to say that Mike McCarthy was right in getting rid of Calamore because I think that was like totally a vindictive move to get rid of him. But the results are not there with the Chargers. Justin Herbert's offhand is like affecting his accuracy. He lost my, uh, Mike Williams, and the offense is taking a huge step back. Austin Eckler is already saying. We have no choice but to keep going with Brandon Staley, and I think that's really what it all comes down to is I don't think Brandon Staley is cut out to be an NFL head coach and is on the hot seat right now and at 2-4. and four, I don't see them being better, uh, and their defense has been a massive disappointment to me. They have too much talent on that side of the ball to give up the amount of points they give up. So 
the Chargers are the most disappointing team okay. so far. Who's your MVP? Because there's no clear runaway. At one point, I was like, okay, Josh Allen may have gotten it. And then all of a sudden, he's downhill. Brock Purdy and Christian McCaffrey. Maybe Christian McCaffrey's still there, but Brock Purdy's now hurt, and he had two bad games. Is it Lamar Jackson again? He was at one point, and yeah. Um, If Lamar plays like he did on Sunday, I win MVP, but that's I don't think he's going to play like that every Sunday. I think that he has won them games. He's lost them one game, the Pittsburgh game. I think it's going to be Mahomes. Um, Mahomes has not had a fantastic year, but the game he had against the Chargers was incredible. And this offense is humming, and it all starts with Mahomes. Him and Travis Kelsey have a connection that I haven't seen between quarterback and pass catcher in a long time. A.J. Brown and Jalen Hurts kind of have that connection, but Jalen Hurts is struggling with turnovers, which, by the way, everybody drills me for ranking Jalen Hurts too high because they just like to scan the numbers because they don't watch every game. I'm watching... I've watched every game this season, front to back, every play. <laughs> and it takes up about 10 hours a week, at minimum 10 hours a week. Um, and I'll say, well, including Sunday, you had three hours. It's probably about 15 to 20 hours, but because I'm watching those ones live. But he's a guy who is making spectacular plays and then has too many turnovers that are either his fault or weird products like batted balls in the air that get picked off that type of thing and that's why he won't end up in the mvp discussion unless he cleans that up and has a great second half because they're still a really good football team so that's why Mahomes is probably still the guy but it's a weird year it's a tough year for quarterback ranking um i did a podcast with around the nfl yesterday on qb index we check in every four weeks and we had the same discussion we we're like nobody separated themselves right now like you're yeah. not getting elite play i am very intrigued to see what happens to joe burrow because the game they had against the Cardinals, he looked healthy for the first time. He had a kind of a weird game against the Seahawks. They won, but he wasn't really great. What he does from here on out, coming out of the bye, if he can string it together and be like peak Joe Burrow for the rest of the season, I think he could enter that discussion. And then, you, of course, you have Tua Tungavaloa, who <clears throat> has been a top Mike QB rankings a couple times. He's got some turnover issues, but that offense, when it's, when it's humming, man, he looks great. And so I think right now you're looking at Mahomes and Tua probably as your top two. McCaffrey could make a claim, but he's already dealing with, you know, he had to deal with an oblique injury. Um, the Purdy thing has hurt him. Losing Debo Samuel has hurt him. Teams know to key on him, but he's a fantastic player. Oftentimes we don't look at MVP as the most valuable guy, but as the guy with the best statistical year. And the way it looks right now, I think Mahomes or Tua have a really good shot at finishing atop those lists. And then that's what's going to make them the front runners for the MVP. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's probably going to be a second half race at this point. Yeah. But oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, okay, so trade deadline, Halloween. Last year was a pretty big one. We've seen some moves now. I'm not saying Chase Claypool is anything, fellow Canadian, but he was moved. Obviously, the big one was TJ Hawkinson within the division, which caught many by surprise, I believe. But first off, first of all, your reaction to the Kevin Byer trade, that, that came out of nowhere. I like, loved I it. Uh, it's another Howie Roseman mastermind. Like, it's just a great move that he pulls off. He finds a team that's on the verge of, you know, in, in, starting a fire sale. You know, probably knows they're not good enough. Needs to move some veterans, get some capital back, and he's like, "Hey, I'll take him off your hands. Here's some, uh, here's Terrell Edmonds on a one-year deal and some late-round picks. We'll take a former All-Pro and throw in the back end of our safety or of our <laughs> secondary at safety." Uh, uh, Howie is the best GM in football. He's been the best GM for the last few years, and that's just another classic Roseman move. And so, I think that was a great move. I don't think we're going to see big-time names move. I think that it's going to be a relatively quiet trade deadline because the targets that are out there are just not headliners. They're role players. The biggest name is probably Derrick Henry if the Titans go that far on their fire sale. Chase Young maybe in Washington um, because he's in a contract year. And 
They don't seem too keen about spending on him, even though he's having a good year. Um, he could go to a contender as well. But then you like run down the list, and it's like, are the Broncos going to sell somebody else like a Cortland Sutton? Um, like I'm looking at Kevin Patras, like deadline piece that he writes every week, like players and team fits, and it's like Preston Smith and Justin Houston and Carl Lawson, like just guys that don't really move the needle. So I think it's going to be pretty quiet. Yeah, because I saw like potentially Devontae Adams, but Raiders shut that down. Um, I did have like Pat, I don't think Pat Sertain's moving. They'll be dumb to move him, but no, that's that I, would be idiotic. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I saw like Broncos might consider depending on the package because they got. Yeah, I have no clue there. Tight end, the only like team said, I, I think the only team that would entertain a Sertan move would be like the 2017 Browns because they were ready to move on from young talent because they were in Operation Teardown Tank. And they were, I mean, they cut Joe Hayden just cause, and then he went and played, had like three or four really good years in Pittsburgh. So yeah. uh, I, I don't think the Broncos are in that state. And the thing is, is he's on a rookie deal. He's affordable. He's playing good football. And yeah, you ha- you have moves that you need to make. You have areas that you need to address, but getting rid of him, you're never going to get the return on him had to be, has to be so astronomical that like it would, it would like blow your minds for that trade to actually happen. So I, I just think it's a counterproductive move for a team like Denver. Yeah. Um, Jerry Judy's the other one, but again, like you said, ain't like that would make more sense. Yeah. Because yeah. I know the Colts, for whatever reason, are linked to him. <laughs> but Yeah, because they need um, receiver help. Although, yeah, he's yeah. watching Alec Pierce. I like Alec Pierce's season so far. Yeah. Um, moving on. Okay, last thing, because I was going to ask you about the t- D-Hop, but then it was the same, same vibe, I guess. But Yeah, that's a veteran who... You know, Titans, if they're in teardown mode, then, you know, he'll go somewhere else. Which is funny yeah. because he, he, when he signed with them, he was like, I believe we can win a Super Bowl. And I read that and I was like, <laughs> yeah, I was right. so mad because, yeah, he was like one of my favorite players. I'm like, please do not be a Titan and I'll be yeah. happy. And he becomes a Titan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Colts rival, of course, naturally. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Last thing you probably heard recently that flag football is coming to the Olympics. Um, What's your overall reaction? Because if NFL players are allowed, who's going to win? Because uh, who else plays football outside of the CFL Canadians? I'm curious because this was the only way to get football in the Olympics because no country outside of Canada and the U.S. plays football seriously enough to compete. Like when I was in high school, they had a world championship event at the Hall of Fame in Canton down the road from where I grew up in Akron. And it, team USA, it was like all high schoolers, but like Team USA destroyed everyone because it was just clear that like nobody has the high school, the feeder program that the that the United States has. Like they start in elementary school, middle school. I started playing flag football when I was in second grade, first or second grade. I was in tackle football by fifth grade. I was in you know eleven man tackle football in seventh grade, and then through high school and a little bit into college. No other country does that. It's not like soccer. It's not like basketball. The NFL would like that to be the case, like the NBA has expanded basketball throughout the world, and it's a global game now. But um, we are so far away from that that the only way you could get it into the Olympics is if you made it flag football because it's more accessible because the barrier to entry in football is actually really high. Like, think about soccer. You need a ball and you need two nets, like two goals. That's it. You can make things up. Basketball, you need a couple hoops and a ball. That's it. Football, you need helmets, shoulder pads, pants. Uh, thigh pads, knee pads, a girdle, or whatever they wear now. I know that before I stopped playing, I moved to like the Nike Pro Combat stuff that was all built in. That's expensive. It's really hard to actually get on a football team and afford that stuff that most countries that aren't quite as developed as the United States, that's just not a priority. So they revert or they resort to soccer or basketball or, you know, even baseball to a degree. 
Um, so flag football, on the other hand, you need a football, you need some flags and maybe a mouth guard. And that's it. And so it's, it's a lot more accessible. Uh, it's taken off. It's been a popular thing for us at NFL.com the last few years. Um, you've seen it kind of take off with its inclusion in the Pro Bowl games. And, um, and the Pro Bowl now is just a flag football game, which is smart yeah. because nobody wants yeah. to play full contact tackle football for nothing. Um, I think that um, 2028 is a long way away. So, like, I've seen tweets about, like, Tyreek Hill, you know, sh- breaking down this German math teacher who's playing flag football or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, yeah, that's funny. But those guys aren't even going to be involved at that point. The only thing I'm curious about is the NFL is, is supposedly encouraging it. I can't confirm that. I have no information on that, even though I'm a league employee. But supposedly that they're pushing it. I know it's good for football. It's good for growing the game, which is why the league would want to push at the popularity of it and why they would want to put out ads that say it's a game changer and everything else. And 2028 is far enough away that there's time for teams to nations to prepare for this. But you have to think if you put, it's like the dream team in basketball, they put NBA players in and they ran like they dominated. And it wasn't until like the lesser NBA talents were playing so the premier talents and other countries had decades to catch up that they started to actually get competitive so i think you're going to see something similar in a flag football environment i don't know who it would be though because are you going to take that risk of like potentially like guys have blown their achilles like aaron boone blew his achilles playing basketball in the offseason one time when he was playing for the yankees like yeah yeah that injury risk is always there so i would have to build in an incentive and a contract to protect somebody for that and maybe they will but it's so far away that it's fun to just think about now and, and just dream yeah. about the next crop. Cause like the guys who could play in that are maybe in high school right now. If you think about yeah. it, if it's like young kids in the NFL in 2028, then they're in high school right now, or they're like freshmen in college. And so it's fun to dream. And I think that they'll dominate, but it's good for football overall. No doubt. Potentially, like, you know, Arch Manning might be throwing a ball to, I don't know who, exactly. <laughs> down the line. But is, but is Arch's family going to let Arch risk injury? Yeah, no. yeah exactly. It's going to be like that class is Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or, or or like a Carson Wentz. I know that's a sore <laughs> subject for you guys, but somebody who's out of the league right now but goes and plays in a league like the XFL. I'll go play flag football in the Olympics because I can still spin it better than some guy from Croatia, so why not? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> All right, Nick. Um yeah, we'll we'll cap it there for sure. Um, before we end it off, though, uh, we want you to promote your stuff. Where can people find you? Your Twitch, your pieces, oh, whatever man. you do. So, I'm everywhere. Go ahead. Um, NFL.com/shook s h o o k past tense of shake. That is uh, where you'll find my work at NFL.com. I'm on the Around the NFL podcast. You can find that on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. My podcast, the Gridiron Podcast. It's grid and then iron in brackets. We talk about football and Formula One. Formula One's the grid. Football's the gridiron. Uh, we do that just about every week. Uh, we just posted an episode last night that you can find on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon's platform, uh, YouTube. Uh, we do it live on Twitch and YouTube. When we record, we do it live so that you can interact and join in the chat and participate in the show. Uh, you can find me on Twitch doing that. You can find me on Twitch playing Madden and some other video games. But uh, I've you know, developed a relationship with EA and have been out there to play the new Madden a few months early this past summer. And uh, it's a really fun game to play. And and honestly, you know, I run a Madden league. I've run it for with people from the NFL Network newsroom for the last four or five years. We're about to start the playoffs right now, actually. I'm controlling the Eagles. We have won 
eight straight going into the playoffs. So <laughs> come check me out there. It's a real good time. I got these lights behind me that change colors and stuff based on buttons that I press. Uh, it's very interactive. So you can find me there as well. And I also do the bold, bald breakdown, which is a Tuesday show at noon Eastern on the big play sports network, where we break down the Browns most recent game. Cause we're in Cleveland and also go around the NFL a little bit. Uh, I do that with my guy, Mike Chico Borman. So Doing all kinds of stuff. I probably left something out, but that's the gist of it right there on Twitter or X at the Nick Shook. Uh, find me on Instagram at Nick Shook NFL. I'm, I also have my private account there, but I probably won't accept you if I don't know you. Uh, so find me in the public one and uh, Nick Shook NFL and threads the Nick Shook as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I actually tuned into your Twitch a little bit when I saw you were live last week playing Madden. And then I was oh, like, yeah. Oh. So I was like, oh, okay. Then the next day you were in the gridiron. Um, wait, 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 what was your name? Did you, did you join the chat? No, no, I didn't. I didn't join the chat. I just got home. We had a volleyball game. So we just came home and, uh, I just, I I was not logged in. I was just on my phone. I saw you on on, uh, Twitter or X, I guess. And then I just logged on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, uh, yeah, maybe I'll hop in from time to time, but yeah. <laughs> yeah sure, jump in the chat, say hello. It's uh, We don't have a ton of people. We usually get like five to ten people at a time, but it's a really fun time. I get a lot of return visitors who always show up and jump in the chat and participate. You can you can play sounds and stuff. I have it. It's very interactive. You know, if you build up enough channel points or use bits and stuff, you can play sounds and do different things on the screen while I'm playing. That's fun. Uh, I was going to do a stream tonight, but it's pretty late, but we do have a playoff game coming up, so. Keep an eye out for that on Twitch. That's twitch.com/nickjuk. All right. Uh, everything will be linked down um, below for uh, for Nick, his Twitch, everything. So make sure you guys check that out. Nick, appreciate the time, man. I know it's late for you, and hopefully we get to do this again soon. Um, definitely had a lot of fun talking football with you. Yeah, definitely, guys. Thanks for having me on. All right. Appreciate it for everybody else watching. Um, thank you, guys, and we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace. Peace.